so hello and, and welcome back. It's it's been a while since we've had one of these uh, founder casts. I'm Eamon Carey. I'm delighted to be joined by Tim Ray, who's the CEO of Palringo. Tim, thank you uh, for your time. It's uh, my pleasure for welcoming me into the uh, Palringo office apartment. Yes. Floffice. Uh, someone described a flat slash office. This is not quite a flat. This is quite an impressive uh, shortage apartment. How did you guys uh, end up with this real estate? Uh, actually, uh, we uh, we were looking for a place to serve as a base in London because we had people kind of spread around a few other offices. We were starting to recruit some more marketing oriented people and we wanted them to be based here. But also we kind of needed a hub between uh, a couple of our development offices in the UK, uh, our office in Gothenburg. Uh, this part of town was perfect and my only condition when we got an office was that it mustn't look like an office because <laughs> there's nothing I hate more. Sorry, apologies to our development team. Nothing I hate more than a bunch of desks and screens everywhere. Well, for I mean, obviously for the benefit of people who are listening to this, which is everyone, um, we're in what is effectively an apartment in a, yeah. in a living room with a kind of mezzanine level above us. So a really, really nice office space on, on Redshirt Street. And there's a bathtub back there. Which is even better, I think, important <laughs> for, for all of those baller startup evenings that uh, everyone is so frequently having in this part of the world. Uh, Tim, take us back a little bit because Palringo, I think, is a company who a lot of people in the industry would have heard of. A lot of people who are involved in the mobile industry in the Middle East would have heard of. But maybe a company that wouldn't necessarily be as familiar to a European or English audience mm. as possible, uh, or as it could be. So give us a little bit of the, the backstory to Palringo. So the, the company started in 2006, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, actually a long time ago. And if you kind of plot it in terms of industry events, that's uh, pre-iPhone, which is probably <laughs> the key industry event to market by. And uh, I, I guess I was really working from, uh, from an investment perspective, looking at a, a number of different investment opportunities. Uh, and uh, and I, I had a call from an investor up in the Northeast who said, met this really interesting chap doing a bunch of interesting stuff. Can you come and have a chat with him? Because you know, he's the sort of guy I would like to invest in, but there's not a business plan, there's not a proposition there. Maybe you know, there's something there that you'd find interesting. Uh, so I, I traipsed up to Newcastle, uh, and it was my first time over in Newcastle, uh, and I went to meet the, the, the lad who uh, was just finishing university, wanted to start a company, and his parents had obviously said, wait until you finish university. Uh, and actually they had done a bunch of interesting things, uh, mainly revolving around uh, his father's consulting business, which was in mechanical engineering. Um, but the, the, the guy who did the founding work in Palringo, Martin Rosinski, uh, had done a lot of software and software engineering work for his father's business, largely around uh, remote data collection, data analysis, uh, and then he'd built a communication tool uh, because they needed a system to alert people when there was a problem with big industrial bits of kit. Uh, and they discovered that actually if you send out alerts to a bunch of people, it just makes a bunch of people worried and nobody knows what to do about it. So they created, a, in effect, a sort of chat room application that worked on mobile. At the time it worked on Windows Mobile for a small number of people. Mm -hmm. But actually it struck me that it worked very well uh, and it was elegantly designed in terms of the architecture uh, and it stood in quite a stark contrast to what other people were doing in terms of instant messaging on mobile at the time. Uh, and so Martin and I started working together and put together a plan to simply make instant messaging work efficiently and effectively on mobile. Uh, and that was our starting point, and that's what we set off to do. Uh, and that you know, kind of took us uh, off in, a, in an interesting direction. And it's been an incredible journey because I think everyone now looks at messaging and goes, 
well, it's like the biggest, it's the biggest thing in the world. Um, and it, it, it has been for all of, what, 18 months, even though it was, you know, the killer app for mobile in many respects in the initial stages was SMS. Then moving on to kind of what you guys were doing, then moving into kind of, you know, what, what everyone else is starting to, to move into in terms of messaging. The paradigm is slightly different in terms of, of what Palringo evolved into, because to me, one of the things that I like about it is it feels a little bit like what IRC used to be like back in the day. And I'm, I'm probably showing my age, uh, but IRC was like where I grew up on the Internet, effectively. Um, so very well, occasionally dysfunctional, but quite focused uh, groups of people talking around one or two specific uh, topics. And, and, and that's what, what Pal Ringo evolved into. Was that a organic evolution or was that something that you guys started to see over time in the product? Well, you know, first of all, if you grew up on IRC, I'll compliment you on coming out of it quite well. <laughs> uh, I only do this. I only talk nice because we're, we're going to be on the radio. Okay. The, uh, it was really a process of evolution. And, and actually what we discovered uh, was that the you know, inherent efficiency that we had in our uh, instant messaging system and the way that it was architected meant that not only could we deliver a service with a relatively modest back-end cost, but the performance of it meant that we could support true real-time conversation, whereas a lot of instant messaging services benchmark themselves against SMS, where, okay, if it takes me a couple of minutes to deliver your message, no big deal as long as the message gets there. Uh, so real-time is, is very different from what a lot of other people were doing. And secondly, the efficiency meant that we could support real-time conversation amongst a larger group of people. We didn't really focus on that at the beginning, but it was an in inherent capability. And therefore, as we kind of traveled along, we you know, posted on a few developer forums and said, hey, we made this stuff, it works on Windows Mobile, tell us what you think. Uh, and actually that triggered some momentum and we started seeing you know, usage scenarios that were contrary to our original expectations. Mm. And in particular, we started seeing groups forming and we hadn't said, come and create a group. It's just people started doing that because they realized that it worked. Uh, and you know, our process of evolution uh, has really followed what users do on our service and in particular what users do that is you know, unique to us that, mm. and, because a lot of them, I mean, to be frank, when you, you know, a couple of years ago when I was kind of really doing a strategic review to say how are we going to build a business model, you know, what is the kind of core create, you know, the core differentiating feature, some of our users said, look, this is the only thing that I can find that will allow me to have a real-time conversation amongst a large group of people. Yeah. Um, that's not really a compliment, it's saying I'm using you by default because you're the only thing there. Uh, but you know, we've always sought to build on those unique features. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, if a bunch of people are telling you I'm using you by default, that's actually probably quite a good place yeah. to be. Yeah. I mean, over the course of, of, of the last, you know, seven, eight, eight years, you know, it's obviously very, long journey to the point where everyone is talking about messaging now how many conversations have you had with people where they were kind of shaking their heads going you're crazy like this this messaging thing that's never going to take off you know like everyone is on facebook or everyone well probably going back over the time that you've been you've been around it's been like well everyone was on bebo or people were on myspace or then people were on facebook or, yes you know now it's grown up so how many shaking heads have you had to encounter i, I could probably go back and construct a timeline <laughs> and and at every point in the timeline you know, identify the the kind of head shaking you know reason so you know back in 2006 2007 it was you know you're never going to do this because the operators are going to do it and they're going to do it and they've got these standards uh, and you know forget it you know, it's, it's all going to be operator driven uh, and then there was an argument that well actually you know the MSN guys and the ICQ and uh, uh, Yahoo and probably some others that I can't even remember anymore you know they're gonna do it on mobile uh, how, are we, how are we gonna compete with them 
uh, and and yeah, actually, to be fair, if you went along and you're a messaging startup today, you know, the head shaking moment would be, well, you know, WhatsApp has it sewn up, uh, and then there's Snapchat, which you know uh, miraculously makes your messages disappear, and you know, access such a load of baloney, sorry, <laughs> because it's harder to keep your messages in history and show you in history than it is. To make. It's super easy to make them disappear. I can make messages disappear all day long. Um, but, you know, nevertheless, it's a, it, it's a good marketing angle to play on. Uh, you know, there's lots of things you can do that will give you encrypted messaging if you want to get banned everywhere. Uh, you know, there are so many messaging services in the market and messaging based, uh, you know, messaging businesses, let's mm -hmm. say. Uh, I guess for us, you know, the critical point is we were kind of following this journey of understanding what our users were doing with our system. The critical point was realizing that we weren't actually a messaging business. We were a messaging based business. Yeah. So messaging was key. It's kind of what you do with it that's important. And I think the, what most businesses struggle with uh, in the messaging space now is that actually there really isn't a business model around messaging. Yeah. You can't charge people for messaging. Uh, it just doesn't work. And you look at WhatsApp, you know, pitiful amount of revenue for the size of their user base. Yeah. It's shocking. Uh, if you look at Viber, really great exit, fantastic job. They executed very well, acquired a user base. But when they were bought for $900 million, they had $1.25 million of revenue, which yeah. is just shockingly bad. Yeah, those aren't real businesses. Yeah. And you guys are, right? I mean, because this is one of the other things about this, that you've had this journey over many years, and there have been one or two pivots along the way. At one point, you kind of looked at an enterprise model, and, yeah. and I guess the user feedback that you were getting and the growth that you were starting to see maybe made you think, mm. I'm not so sure that that's the route to go. But you guys are now a de facto business, right? I mean, it's, it's like a... We've we talked about all of these guys. Yeah. Like it's actually a company that makes money, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's unheard of. Yeah. Uh, in in Shoreditch, you must be like one of the unicorns in in, in this part of the world, right? But, but tell us a little bit about that journey because I think you've gone through one or two pivots and now you've gotten it to a point where it is generating real revenue. You are seeing real real growth, and you do now have kind of a very specific strategy that we'll discuss a little bit later on in in, in terms of how you're focusing for the future. Yeah, and I, I I guess it is in a way it's fair to call them pivots. I, I guess. Uh, they're not pivots in that we didn't fundamentally change what we were doing. Mm -hmm. It's more, you know, kind of understanding, uh, you know, at one point, and I think it was probably in about uh, kind of 2009, we're looking and saying, actually, you know, we're trying to, to do too much, we're covering too much ground with a relatively small team and modest resources. Let's kind of consolidate a little bit and draw a line around what we can do really well and make sure we do that really well. And we went through a process then of saying, okay, we do that really well. And you know, miraculously, once we did it really well and everything worked, our user numbers start ticking up. And you think, okay, this is fine. It's working. People are using it. The stats are going up. Uh, and you get to this inevitable point where you say, what's the business model? You know, how do we make money out of this? Uh, and that point also for us corresponded to a point where our cash was starting to dwindle down to nothing. Uh, and so you think, okay, I've got to write a business plan and describe what our business model is and justify you know, putting some more money in. And uh, at, at, I guess, the same time, we had a, a whole bunch of people calling us on a regular basis saying, hey, can you give me a white label version of this? Uh, um, hey, my cousin works for this operator here, and if you give me this and let me pretend it's mine, I'll sell it to him and get a bunch of money and I'll give you some. Uh, you know, just, yeah, every day we had a few calls like that. And you think, actually, you know, we are a very technically oriented company. 
maybe we remain a very technically oriented company and we work through a range of, of partners uh, to deliver some white label versions, to deliver some enterprise versions. And, you know, GE calls us up and says, you know, we want an enterprise version. And you think, this is GE. Yeah. That's pretty big, right? I mean, this is like, okay, those guys, are you serious? And, and, you know, so you think, that sounds all very viable. And, you know, what better validation can you have than GE calling you up and saying, please, can I have an enterprise version? Because I've got a bunch of people using it and it's unauthorized and they're not using the thing that I gave them. Uh, And so, you know, we we started working on that basis, thinking actually uh, what we do on the consumer side, kind of like a marketing exercise. You know, nobody makes money out of it. There's a bit of advertising pennies here and there, but... Uh, let's let that run because people use that. They call us up and you know, it's a good proof point. Uh, let's service these operators. Let's service these enterprise customers. And you know, we set off doing that uh, and that was working well in terms of signing people up and in terms of initiating mm-hmm. projects. Uh, you know, when we got several months down the road, uh, I guess it wasn't so straightforward because you then look at GE and you say, we deployed it. They signed a contract. I filled out, you know, reams and reams and reams and reams of forms uh, to become an approved supplier. Uh, and, uh, you yeah, know, some fantastic guys that we're working with. And I'm expecting them to pay X per seat. Uh, and well, nobody's using it. What's going on? And then you call up and you probe a little bit. And, and it turns out the guys who were championing it in the first place, uh, they were the champions. Uh, and actually, they still prefer to use the consumer version of Power Ringo <laughs> instead of the GE version because of course GE wanted to switch off a couple of things here and there yeah. uh, and you, know, you then realize if you're going to be successful in the enterprise piece you've got to really be hot on the enterprise piece you've got to be hot on how you sell it in how you drive it post sales to make sure it's deployed to make sure it works in the teams to make sure they're getting the productivity out of it you know it's nice to think these things sell themselves it's a huge really. deployment process isn't yes. it? I mean I think that's the piece that a lot of people miss about enterprise sales a lot of the time is that like signing the deal is almost like 5% of the deal. The 95% is getting people to actually use it, to fulfill the terms of the deal, and then you know wait the eight months or whatever their payment terms are yes. to actually get paid, which is yes. the uh, second tricky part. Yeah. I guess. And, and so now let's talk about operators. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, again, I think you know, it's always impressive uh, when an operator comes along and says, yeah, I really need that. Can you do X, Y, and Z? And you think, this is great. They've got that many users. They can just add stuff onto the bill. It's magic. Uh, and so you start working on it, you, you hand it over, maybe it gets launched. Uh, and then you, know, you realize the only way to make money on an operator deal is to charge them a big chunk of money up front uh, and then let them just do whatever they're going to do with it because you've got your money yep. and you know, you'll, you'll help the, them. But the, 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 first, uh, the first two deals I ever did with my first company were exactly that. And it was, it was blind luck. It was, it was no planning on my part. It was just like, well, we're not really sure how we can charge for this in the long term. So we're just going to charge you this upfront fee and kind of hope for the best and that you don't make too much money out of it. And, and as it turns out, it, it worked quite well. And when they pay up front, they tend to pay a lot quicker yes. uh, than when they're waiting for their customers to pay them to yes. then pay you. Yes. Um, but tell us, getting to the... To, Going back to the consumer piece, I mean, that's great validation for a consumer product as well. They go, we've got a bunch of people at GE who are champions for this. And actually, we've taken a white label version of it, taken out all of these bits, and these guys no longer want to use it because the consumer version is so good. I mean, I guess that must have been kind of brilliant for you guys. Terrible in some respects and brilliant in, in others in terms of going, right, well, we now have a little bit more of a, a, a real clear focus on, on what we want to do and a real impetus from seeing this is what people actually love. Yeah. 
I guess for me, it got to the the point where I could go along to every board meeting every month and say, here's a slightly longer list of people that we're starting to work with. Uh, don't look at the revenue. <laughs> Just look at this long list of people who are interested in what we're doing. And you, you then look at it and say, you know, really, the revenue should be, be taking off now. It should be starting to tick up. We should be starting to see some results of some of these projects that have been running. Uh, and at the same time, we're starting to see some real stress uh, in terms of the development team dealing with a GE who's saying, I think if we change this little piece here, it'll make all the difference. And then an operator comes in and says, yeah, we need to change this little thing here. And you're saying, actually, if we change those two things, it's not going to work for our consumers. So we need three separate apps. Uh, and how are you going to manage the branching of your code on all of these different versions? So, you know, you, and at that stage, you have a J2ME version, you have a <laughs> Windows Mobile version, you have a Symbian Series 60 version, and, you know, you have an Android version and an iPhone version. Um, so you think, this doesn't sound right. Uh, and actually, at that stage, uh, which also corresponded with a dwindling bank balance, <laughs> I sat down to analyze, you know, really you know, how things were working. Uh, you know, if we're going to pick one of these things to actually just really execute well on, which thing is it going to be? Um, you have to take into account not only the market opportunity for each of these things. So, and, and our three things were, you know, do we do telco solutions? Do we do enterprise or do we do consumer? Yeah. If we do consumer, I mean, how do we make money out of it? Uh, but you also look at the you know, affinity your team has with those different yeah. opportunities. And you think, are these guys going to wake up in the morning and be excited about dealing with this operator over here and changing something knowing that the operator has completely the wrong idea and it isn't going to work uh, or ditto enterprise uh, or you know on the consumer side actually the team understood you know to a large extent what was going on on the consumer side so I spent a lot more time actually you know kind of dissecting that and understanding what was going on and you look and you say well actually you know the use case for the biggest single kind of coherent chunk of our mm -hmm. audience was really not messaging as we had thought about it you know, mm. thus far. You know, we'd always considered it to be largely a communication utility. And you realize actually for these guys, it's more of a game. You know, they're not talking to people that they already know, which is the usual messaging utility yeah. case. Uh, they're talking to people that they didn't already know. And the excitement of it is, I don't know, you know there's a little bit of that chat roulette kind of this yeah. might be weird, I might meet somebody, uh, except it's like being invited along to a party. Yep. And at that party, you know that everybody there is into a particular topic or playing a particular sort of game. Mm -hmm. So you all have something in common. You might then go off and talk about something entirely different, um, but there's a link that kind of brings you together and it's exciting to kind of, in an open kind of forum, it's kind of less threatening and exciting to exchange ideas. And it was interesting to kind of then you know, kind of examine what was going on. And then also looking at it regionally, yeah. uh, we had users and we still have users in almost every country of the world, which is the nature of, you know, most mobile apps. And you think, you know, well, I didn't know I had 5,000, you know, users in Yemen, you know, uh, what are those guys <laughs> doing? Um, but, you know, for us, when we started looking at focusing, uh, you know, we first of all focused down and said, actually, you know what, I think we're going to have to focus on the consumer piece. Uh, and I think there's an opportunity here on the consumer side to, actually play into what these guys are doing. Some of them are treating us as a game, but they're certainly using us as part of what they're doing on the gaming side. Yeah. Let's think of ourselves as a game 
operator. Let's mm-hmm. think of us, ourselves as though we are a game ourselves, not a communication utility. Uh, uh, let's actually take some of the virtual goods pieces that we had put in place really to enhance the communication utility piece, but actually, again, position them as part of the game. Uh, and, you know, let's gently um, kind of withdraw from the enterprise and the, the telco piece, which we, we successfully have done. Uh, and when we started looking at that focus, we also thought, you know what, regionally there are some differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, given our, you know, uh, I guess restricted resources, let's actually not switch off everything around the world, but let's focus on one particular region to make the most coherent proposition we can make. So how do we make it you know, uh, uh, optimally coherent in terms of you know, understanding what they need from a localization perspective for the app, for language, what kind of content they like, what's the, the cycle of you know, their holiday seasons, uh, let's support them in the language they need to be supported in, uh, let's understand how they like to pay for things and make sure we cater for that. Uh, and when we did that regional analysis, we saw that actually we had a, a stronger rate of growth in the Middle East than we had in other regions. And when we broke it down and started looking at the level of engagement, that was truly shocking. Uh, so, you know, we had good levels of engagement everywhere else, but the level of engagement in the Middle East was, you know, five, Exponential, six, seven times yeah. uh, anywhere else. Uh, so they were not only using the app and spreading it around, but they were using it really aggressively. Yeah. So we thought, actually, let's, let's spend a little while and let's just focus on that region and let's really make everything as coherent as possible, treat ourselves as though we are a game and see you know, what happens. So um, without necessarily putting a number or a hard figure on it, one of the big mistakes that I see a lot of startup companies make, especially mobile apps, and you hit the nail on the head by kind of going, they are by nature global, is they'll wake up one day and realize that they have a huge audience in some part of the world and they'll just assume that that audience behaves exactly the same as audiences in the US or the UK or anywhere else. Like how long did that process take in terms of really diving into what you were going to need to do in the Middle East, the nuance of that market? I mean, even the nuance of the regions within that market is is slightly tricky, but just tell us a little bit about that process, how you approached it, the kinds of people who, who worked on it and, and, and how it's it's paid off because you guys are, are huge in the, the Middle East now. Yeah, and I guess for us, I would have to admit that it's still a journey that we're on. You know, we still learn things most days. Uh, and our starting point was to say, you know what, let's hire somebody who speaks Arabic because none of us have any idea what any of these guys are saying. <laughs> it's tricky, right? I mean, this again is the, the mistake. It's like, oh, we'll just put a translation job on Elance yeah. and that's fine. That's the job done. Instead yeah. of thinking, well, actually, this is, you know, it's a little bit more nuanced yeah. than that. And, you know, one of the advantages of the nature of our application is that we have a very engaged user base. Uh, and, you know, when you can dig into that user base and find the people who are willing to kind of help out and get involved, you know, you can get a lot of help from your community. So I would say, you know, probably 80 to 90 percent of our community management job mm-hmm. is handled by our community and wow. by volunteers who actually get, you know, kind of really engaged and are very keen to help us, you know, kind of keep yeah. keep things ticking along as they should be. Uh, but, you know, we hired... Uh, you know, some people uh, to work internally who could not only handle the localization tasks and handle local support, but could explain things to us. Mm-hmm. You know, look, here's how they like to buy things. You know, they don't do this, they do that. Uh, and here's the companies we got to work with. And, uh, you know, we've, we've explored opening an office in the region. Uh, I think the, uh, the challenge that we found with that is 
is really having somebody working there but who is well integrated with our team here because nothing that you do on the market side you know can be done without the wholehearted support of the development team uh, and you know it's really key for those people to be you know, not absolutely co-located but reasonably yeah. close to kind of be able to kind of you know, explain to everybody you know we one of the things I've always been keen to to kind of maintain as we've grown and we're now like 70 people mm. uh, I've been very keen to kind of maintain an environment where everybody feels responsible for everything and sometimes it's a bit of a pain because you know somebody who you think has no business questioning <laughs> yeah. something you know will still pop up and say oh but you know I was chatting to some users last week and they told me this and you think mm, well okay yeah I've got to I've got to give some credence to that. Tell us a little bit about the scale that you guys are at now, because you mentioned games earlier. Um, last year, you bought a free lunch over in Stockholm, so you acquired a, a games company, and, and and games has been a kind of a big, big focus and kind of integrating games into everything that you do. Um, tell us a little bit about you know that transaction and how that came about, and also then the kind of scale that you guys are are, are at now and where it's got you to. So the. Uh, I guess the the gaming journey began really when we understood that the largest chunk of our community were a part of our community because of games. Mm -hmm. And some of them were, you know, there because they originally came in because of the game that they were playing and then they just stuck around and are doing all sorts of other stuff. Uh, But a lot of them are using Power Ringo as part of what they're doing on games. So we thought, actually, you know, let's let's find a way to to uh, to build on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, we started by talking to a few uh, game development companies, thinking maybe we could offer them a sort of SDK and they can build our chat in and we can build some community and some support stuff. Uh, what we found, though, is that most game developers are very focused on their games and not so focused on anything else yeah. that sits around their games. And uh, and it's also difficult for them to kind of say, you know what, if I'm using some Unity tools, that's fine because, you know, I use the tools, I build my game and I throw my game out there and then I don't have to worry about any dependencies. Mm-hmm. If I'm building your chat in, I need you to stay, yeah. you know, uh, alive. Yeah. Otherwise, my game's scuppered. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's a pretty tricky thing to build those sorts of relationships, which made us realize actually, you know, what we need to... Uh, build uh, some of those game capabilities ourselves. We started by building some internal games, some in-chat games, just to kind of test the water. And they were astoundingly successful. So we have probably the only instance of Hangman game <laughs> that, that grosses multi-million dollars. <laughs> okay. uh, it's a good game. Uh, you know, Hangman's obviously a, a very tried and tested, long-running concept. Um, and our implementation is it was originally... Uh, light but is now you know a bit a bit more substantial uh, but the idea that people are, are sitting there they're talking to each other uh, and actually they'll play a game yeah. alongside you know just having general chat and other people who are chatting will watch them play games um, for us was again an interesting revelation as a part uh, as a result of a kind of one day mm. you know kind of hacking experiment um, and that led us to kind of create a series of in chat games but then also starting to look and say, well, actually, can we leverage the fact that we've got a very engaged, dedicated community, build some external games, and build some social capabilities that enhance those external games, whether they're multiplayer or single player. Uh, maybe we can work with some game developers. Maybe we could be a publisher. Uh, and uh, we started talking to some people on that basis. We met the guys from Free Lunch Design, who I have to point out are in Gothenburg and not Stockholm. And for them, it's really important. <laughs> Uh, and uh, they'd done uh, some good games, but they were 
they were doing a lot of work for hire stuff, but they understood the games market. They understand how to build these things, and they understood you know kind of what it was like to to kind of build for an external client. We liked them very well. We got on well. We did some work with them, and then we acquired them. So they've now been with us for almost exactly a year, uh, and we've published uh, three of our own external games, which are I hasten to add kind of experimental because we've been exploring how to make external games work with what we do on the community and we've got a pipeline of i'd say four or five more over the coming 12 months um, that we'll push out that will you know each one successively show a deeper integration of of our community capability and external gaming Uh, and then you know probably at some point we'll start opening that up because then we'll be able to go along to developers and say Here's how it works. Here's the data. Yeah, you know. yeah, and that's the thing, right? It's like here yeah. we've eaten our own dog food. Here's the data that we can show you. Here's the, you know, scale of the revenue opportunity that's available. Here's the yes. market that you have. I mean, in terms of scale, like, how big is the the community now? I mean, not an exact figure, but like, roughly, how big is the community now? Because you've got about three hundred and fifty thousand communities or groups within the. Yeah, you have a little bit more, maybe now. So if I yeah, that that number. Um, you know, probably stays in the 350 to 400 range and it kind of comes and goes because you know some communities or some groups uh, whatever you want to call them yeah you know, some of them have a, a specific lifetime you know they pop up because somebody's playing a game and then the game's over and you know and it dies so there's a lot of uh, uh, you know creation and a lot of uh, destruction of, of those groups and then some actually kind of have you know really long long running you know, long less running, ephemeral I guess yeah, yeah. long lifetime. Uh, but the number is usually around 350,000. Uh, some of those have a couple of thousand people in them. Some of them have, you know, kind of 10, 15, 20, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what they're doing. Uh, and, you know, from a user numbers perspective, I guess like any business of this sort, um, the number of people who come through the front door uh, is uh, to a certain extent a function of marketing spend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've never really spent any marketing money, uh, but we have a good organic flow through that uh, you know in a good typical month will give us say a million people through the front door uh, you know the degree to which those people are retained is to a large extent a function of why they came through the front door <laughs> yeah uh, but you know we've uh, I'd say over the last three or four months we've ramped up a lot of our activities around understanding where they're coming from especially the organic guys, where they're coming from, what they're expecting, how do we start to meet those expectations a little bit more coherently. And, uh, and we're starting to ramp up our capabilities uh, in terms of general customer acquisition. Uh, we've built up a, a, you know, a decent amount of cash to spend on marketing, but we're still, I guess, uh, like a lot of companies that have kind of got themselves to profitability and have generated cash, we're kind of thinking, yeah, I gotta be really careful how I spend this money because it's my money, not my investor's money. You know? <laughs> Uh, on the subject of money, I mean, I guess that's always the uh, the important question. Um, in terms of actually generating revenue, you mentioned that you you guys have taken a lot of the kind of elements from games. You know, is it it's mainly kind of virtual currency power ups items that people can use within the context of the the chat? Is that where the bulk of the the revenue is coming from? All of the revenue is coming from? I'd say yeah, we've we've gradually uh, shut off some of our revenue streams that mm-hmm. have become irrelevant like advertising you think, yeah okay that's why are we annoying people with advertising because it's giving us a few pennies so forget about it um you know we we have people who buy premium accounts and who buy uh premium versions of of a group to kind of get some additional capabilities mm-hmm. uh, but the bulk of our revenue comes from 
um, people buying, um, uh, we call them message packs, so they're fancy enhanced messages, uh, people buying uh, games that they play within their group. So, you know, I might want to actually build up my status within mm -hmm. the community by having, you know, the most active group or a group with, you know, a few hundred people in it. I might be able to better attract people to my group if I put some of these games in my group. So I can go around and say, hey, come to my group because, you know, I put these games in and we can play these games and plus I'm really cool. Uh, and, uh, and so people start investing in building their yeah. community. Uh, and then likewise, I might think, you know, you're a really cool guy and you've got this kind of community growing over here. And actually, you know, I'm going to join your community and, uh, you know, I want you to understand how cool I am. So I'm going to buy a couple of games to put in your community. And because I like playing these games anyway, and I like to play with these guys over here. And so, uh, you know, people will pay to actually buy the games to put into their groups. But then, you know, some of the games, you know, have opportunities for users to actually spend to enhance the game or to get further how much of that market opportunity do you see as being i suppose specific to emerging markets as we might think of them so you know like you that to me sounds a lot like say wasta in the middle east right you're kind of you're influential you can donate a certain amount of your influence to someone else you know and and, and that kind of enhances your personal appeal and i think that kind of way of thinking is is well ingrained across africa across asia across you know a whole bunch of different markets probably slightly less so in in europe and the and the us is it, like do you guys see i guess the question in some respects is the greater opportunity for palringo over the next 12 to 18 months or 24 months and onwards is it india africa middle east you know russia brazil these kind of places or do you think maybe there's something we should do in the uk maybe there's something we should do in, in the us so we're I'd say, you know, at the start of, of expanding our strategic regional focus. Uh, so we still have users all over the place, uh, at, but we're starting to look very specifically at saying, okay, let's, um, let's do a more careful analysis of the English-speaking world. So let's call that US, UK, and a chunk of Western Europe, uh, and you know, a few other bits and pieces elsewhere. Uh, and let's look specifically at Russia and Brazil and you know, India not at the same time, but, you know, kind of in the pipeline. So there's an element of looking both at developed and developing. Uh, but to be honest, I think the developing term is, is misleading because if you look at India, for example, just to, to pick a case, say, okay, you know, it's a developing economy and it's got 1.2 billion people. But if you actually go through and separate out from that 1.2 billion people, the number of people who have uh, reasonable disposable income who play mobile games and have smartphones it's actually a pretty big chunk of, yeah. of people yeah and they're not developing economy people they are pretty sophisticated developed in their tastes, economy people yeah. uh, and they're sophisticated in what they expect from you know things that they that they pay for what we do certainly see is that the the drivers and motivation vary a little bit from region to region which you know for me may, means that uh, a real business needs to actually take uh, at least a, a somewhat regional approach to how it rolls out and how it develops. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at maintaining a, a fairly consistent thread, mm -hmm. but we fully recognize that as we ramp up what we're doing in some other regions, you know, we will need to pay a little bit more dedicated attention to, you know, uh, maybe we don't have to totally change product, but uh, beyond localization, we uh, have to understand maybe how they, you know, uh, engage with it, uh, what they would expect to pay for it. Um, 
those sorts of things. What's exciting you about the business at the moment? Like, what what is there that you can talk about that's in the pipeline that you're going to go and I can't wait until people see this, or I can't wait until I get my hands on this piece of data so that I understand why X is is happening. I think yeah, the the primary focus internally, aside from you know, the very interesting things that we're doing in some other markets and starting to kind of just tease out the differences and how we present ourselves in other markets and see the those very early stages of, of engagement as the audiences start to grow, that's super interesting. But the thing that we're all really, really focused on is, um, is games. Uh, I break that down into internal games, the in-chat games, which again, you know, continue to astound us and are very interesting. And we're building up a very uh, substantial, dedicated focus on not only delivering those, but really kind of innovating in the nature of those games. Um, but on the external game side, building you know, what we call a social game center capability. So you know, when you play a game, if it's got the power and go game center, which at the moment would be only our games, yeah. uh, you can coordinate what you're doing socially on the community side. You can challenge people to say, uh, you know, if it's a single player game, you can actually turn a single player game into a social experience because you can actually create visibility of what happens in that game within a community over on the other side. Uh, you can say, actually, um, we're going to set a challenge within Power Ringo and the group that jumps the most floors in Power Ringo's Icy Tower game, you know, cumulatively, uh, will actually win this particular prize. Uh, and then you motivate people to individually go and play the game and you collect all their scores, you collect the numbers, and you say, well, this group has yeah, number one place. Exactly. Uh, and so starting to actually build, uh, I'd say, a, a real community, a real social capability that interfaces and is driven very, you know, kind of uh, uh, strongly by what happens on the game side. And that, For me, is exciting. That mass engagement thing works incredibly well. Like we, at Keep, we had big mass engagement challenges like that where it's like okay everyone competes in mega jump the person who gets the highest score gets x prize or you know an xbox or a trip to disneyland or something like mm -hmm. this and the level of engagement level of conversation the level of excitement that you see in people because you're taking an everyday activity that they're so used to doing and giving them a physical reward or an, you know even if it's an intangible reward yes. i think is just is, is immeasurable and you're creating an opportunity for a lot of people to be involved in helping a wider group of people accomplish something you know, uh, and uh, even though that accomplishment may only be within a game, yeah. you know, that's still an accomplishment. But, you know, looking, uh, you know, beyond that, one thing that we do every year as part of our focus on the Middle East is to actually run a special project over the Ramadan period. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done it for the last two years and we're planning something uh, at the moment. Uh, but we've actually played into the fact that during Ramadan, uh, most uh, Muslims, you know, think very uh, much in terms of their contribution to society and their uh, giving to charities. Uh, and so we've run uh, some charity campaigns, which aren't just, you know, kind of give some money, but actually playing into that social dynamic as well and saying, you know, kind of this guy's, you know, kind of, you know, given this, you know, do you guys accept this as a challenge? Can you yeah. guys raise this much money? Uh, and there's some fun things that you can do around charitable giving that, you know, again, people, I think, uh, appreciate the opportunity to kind of uh, do it in those sorts of community environments and i think again that comes back to the localization right that's understanding mm. your audience in Absolutely. An, you know an incredible way in an incredibly deep mm. way that i think a lot of people sometimes can lose sight of i mm. think um in terms of what else is out there in in the mobile marketplace or the digital marketplace more widely i mean are there other areas that you look at and think oh, that's kind of interesting or you know are there apps that you've downloaded recently that you think those guys are doing something 
reasonably smart or there's an opportunity? I mean, wh where do you see there being? Because, you, you know, outside of obviously being CEO of Palringo, you are an investor as well. You talked about it a little bit earlier on. You know, are there specific areas that you look at and think, well, I'm kind of curious about that or where this is going? I, I think for me, the really interesting thing on mobile at the moment is fragmentation. And as you lower the barrier to you know, publishing an app and running a service, uh, you get a real proliferation of things. And so I think, you know, for me, it's just astounding when I sit down to kind of do research in a particular area or I see something, I think, yeah, that's kind of interesting. And I go and look and say, well, you know, here's a hundred of them. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's, it's amazing what, you know, one guy in his bedroom can build. It's often very challenging if it's a messaging app. It's challenging to kind of take something that actually looks whizzy and, and you know, is very nicely designed to something that actually supports, I think, you know, we're kind of doing 150 billion to 200 billion messages a month. That's a, that's a different, you know, kind of challenge altogether. Uh, but, you know, I guess for me, it's, you know, one of the, the big problems in mobile at the moment is, you know, how do you actually break through the noise uh, with something innovative? Uh, I like to see things that can break through the noise without raising a hundred million dollars, um, because you can always say, well, you know, okay, I, I also have a, an app like these other hundred apps, <laughs> but I've got a hundred hundred million dollars, so and suddenly things become a little <laughs> bit easier, right? Yeah, um, so it's it's a bit tricky at the moment, I would say, to kind of really point at things that are making a massive difference. And it, looking ahead a couple of months, I mean, if we look towards the end of of twenty fifteen, and it's you know, hopefully a nice snowy Christmas and everyone is, is happy. What would be a great 2015 for you if you if you were to project ahead to December and think these are the things that I'd like to achieve in the next couple of months? So I think when it's uh, when we're back into the, the winter time, uh, I would hope to be sitting down thinking we have successfully doubled our revenue again this year, um, which we did last year. Uh, and uh, we have um, successfully, you know, kind of built games that integrate well from a community perspective and that's driving not only kind of growth in user base of the games and monetization of the games that we push out but also growth in our community um, and uh, I think probably for me that would be that would be the crux of it. It'd be a nice way to have hot chocolate. Yeah. Uh, well, with apologies to the uh, to the guys in Gothenburg and uh, and not Stockholm, <laughs> uh, you can send me poisoned gravadlaks or uh, or something equally as as uh, Swedish herring, uh, herring, <laughs> pickled herring uh, in the post to uh, to my house. Uh, Tim Ray, CEO of Palringo, thank you very much for taking the time to invite us into the uh, into the Palringo apartment. It's a pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much for coming. It was a really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you.